Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing the phenomenon that is the Great British Bake Off. So, Peter, first of all, for those unfamiliar with the programme, can you tell us what the Great British Bake Off is and and what recently happened with it? So, the Great British Bake Off is a huge smash hit uh, that's been um, created by the BBC uh, and it's been running for about two or three years now, I think. Um, And it's a very nice sort of homely, quite twee show with some very effervescent presenters. It's Sue Perkins and the other one Mel, <laughs> Mel, Mel Gideroy yeah but they always right? come as a pair so right. as long Mel as you get Sue. one of them you get both um, and uh, uh, and a couple of um, sort of experts Mary Berry and um, the, uh, Paul Holloway Paul I think. Holloway yeah no Paul Hollywood Hollywood is it I can right. see you two are big fans of the show yeah yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a Strictly fan but <laughs> right. uh, okay so um, they, they um, and the, the the format of the show is they have a, a, range, a, a ten or so contestants who are set quite taxing r- different challenges to create cakes breads all sorts of things to do with baking with a limited time um and the idea is that the best the best contestant will win at the end and as you're quite that's a nice description it's quite high octane stuff i think it's been running for longer than two or three years but i mean it's it's all quite bucolic it sort of harks back to another yeah. era and i think mary berry is a really important aspect of it oh, as yeah, much she's as great. she's this kind of the grandmother that we would all want to have yeah. who spends her whole it's, time it's all, it's all cakes. filmed in a nice big marquee in a beautiful garden yeah. so it's very sort of english garden-esque i it's, think it, it might be worth making clear as it mm. as if the intro hasn't done already mm. that peter and i are not are not regularly glued to bake-off but you are fraser aren't you so why, well, that's what I was gonna do you want to not, give us a bit listeners. more of a yeah yeah because actually i've always been quite and actually just before um we sort of started recording just now i was re, i was re, i was talking to um to peter about how you know my middle-aged dotage is i'm well into the swing of that um and i'm considering some very focal lenses because i have real trouble with my eyes and and other aspects of this apart from you know just the very beginnings of losing my hair um is is um yeah i've become a a real fan of the great british bake-off um i'm quite lowbrow in my tastes and um for years i dismissed it why would i be interested in baking but i don't know what it was for this year it's become such a big show that i actually now regularly follow it well every week i'm there can i just ask a question for the avoidance of doubt what is the definition of baking um i guess it's getting some bread like stuff and sticking it in an oven so do they they never bake do they bake meat pies at all oh yeah 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 no so it's quite it's quite um wide ranging so they did yorkshire puddings which actually i'm quite good at yorkshire puddings myself i had some own criticism you know to add to that when i was doing that they do like your standard cakes they do pastries they do um big showpiece shortbreads and things yeah but there's a consistent flour and egg element i mean you don't get do they they don't do um you know just say roast lamb or anything no right but they do do roast lamb Within a Yorkshire pudding, right, sometimes, okay. for example, but there's always it. that element of something being stuck in an oven and you know and, and yeah. heated, as you say, sort of flour, eggs, and I guess milk or something. I don't know. But um, <laughs> um, but one thing, just going back to our intro, one thing that you were saying, Peter, it was created by the BBC, but in fact it wasn't, was it? Um, so, and which is pertinent to what we want to discuss today. So, if you can sort of plow ahead on that, yeah. So the the the, the reason it's become a 
uh, a controversy has surrounded the Great British Bake Off is that it's recently been sold to Channel 4. The format has been sold to Channel 4 for, I think, £75 million, which is quite an astonishing fee. Um, but Or is it? Depending on what you get for that money. Mm. And that's, I think that's what we're going to start thinking yeah. about today. Because, I mean, one of the things, we've mentioned some of the constituents that make it the Great British Bake Off. And, it, and, it, and, and since the, that purchase, so it's a production company that owned the rights. and like, Love Productions. It. Is it Love Productions? Yeah. Right, okay. What I'm, a lovely name. Lovely indeed. Um, <laughs> is, is since it's been bought, it's, it's sort of been revealed or certain key element or key cast members have said, well, actually, we don't want to have anything. We're not going to go across to Channel 4. So that includes Mel and Sue, who you mentioned, who actually I'm not that keen on anyway. I think it can survive without, survive without them. But the big one who said, no, I'm not going is Mary Berry. So it, this begs the question, what have Channel 4 bought for 75 million quid? So I, as I understand, they've, they've essentially bought just the format and the right to use the name and um, and, and that sort of program formats. Um, and why this is considered controversial for the price is that it's clear that there was no lock-in for the main characters, the main presenters, um, and uh, which... which, which may have been a mistake or may have been assumed to be not important uh, by Channel 4. So that's sort of that's a part of what people think they've missed out on for their 75 million is the the, the non-commitment of Mary and the two the the, the two the Perkins and whatever her name is um <laughs> Mel and Sue they're yeah. that too. So yeah. um they so that's so that, that's why there's potential con- controversy mm. which sort of begs the question so what do you what what is intellectual property? What does the format of a show represent, and how much should you be willing to pay for it? And I think the thing that really interests me is how has this evolved? I mean, where 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 do these rights come from? I mean, let's talk about that and and why that's come about. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of the timeline, apparently, um, well, the the original I think the original um, progenitor of of modern day intellectual property law, as far as I understand it. Uh, dates back to uh, the 1600s, um, the the Statute of Monopolies in 1624, which was essentially about patents and giving people the right to use inventions that they'd created. And uh, the, the notion of copyright, which is another key element of intellectual property, mm. was from something called the Statute of Anne in 1710. Uh, but the first, the first use of the phrase in the modern sense was um, 1808 from what i can find but it but it's interesting so there's lots of questions there which is is it you know is intellectual property a thing we've kind of invented or is it is it is it actually something we should regard as as similar to tangible property Hmm. um and you know it's interesting that the notion of intellectual property is is relatively modern i mean certainly compared to the notion of property which is um you know probably dates back to pre-human days uh we've we've sort of discovered that we we think there are some advantages to having this notion of intellectual property, which nevertheless seems quite artificial. And I think the fact that we've had, uh, we've we've had this, you've already started stumbling over what exactly Channel Four bought. I mean, intellectual property is not, as far as I understand it, very well defined. It's it's non tangible things that you can own, mm. um, and uh, 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 you know. And I think I think you you look at things like the um, the the rules about what you're allowed to patent. Mm. 
and some of it seems very arbitrary you know there are there are you're, you're not allowed to you, you know you're allowed to patent new technologies um but you but you know if you combine old ones in a new way i think i think under certain circumstances that doesn't count um software for example uh i think cannot be patented but the code can be copyrighted mm. um so you know there's there's it, it, all of it seems a bit unsuited in some ways to to the modern world um but i mean the, the the argument for the reason why people well some you know it's controversial whether or not we should continue to have the concept of intellectual property and support it legally the adva- the the argument for it is essentially an economic one because it says the problem with intellectual property with for example a new invention uh or a or a new uh you know a piece of text or something is that it can be copied for for, for almost zero cost right. um so it's very hard to to enforce a market. It's very, it's, you know, and you've seen that on. You look at things like the, the the whole early spread of things like Napster on the internet, where you know you could just get for free MP3s. It's very very hard because it because it essentially it doesn't cost anything to to copy it. So of course it's very hard to monetize. It's hard for you to get uh, to recoup the effort you put in. Um. And so the, the the argument is that people will underproduce. So people people won't make music, even though people like music and they want it and they're willing to pay for it. It's very hard to, to enforce a market. So the argument for having laws to protect those kinds of things is that it encourages um, uh, people to produce things that otherwise they, they would find hard to sell. That's the argument for it. Yeah, that, that's essentially so. So it comes down to um, what is known as an externality in in economics. So so if you uh, if you produce something which other people can can then just enjoy the benefit of without you being able to charge for it. So, for example, if you make your front garden nice or, you know, if you have if you have a if you decide to have a, a lamp in your garden which lights up the street and is therefore gives other people the benefit you can't you can't charge them for that um and so th- these things are, are called positive externalities and and research and development and invention and creation all produce these positive externalities because you know i i if i write a piece of music which other people like they can sort of listen to it in their homes um and i can't charge them for that so the 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 argument for having it is 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 about the fact that actually these things will be underproduced inefficiently underproduced okay so and one thing you said in your intro there was you said it was controversial yeah this, this area, which i hadn't realized i thought it was not controversial at all so what's the other side of this then well because i can imagine there's some strong arguments in the area of let's say drug production let's say yeah if, but anyway if, oh very very much so and i mean i think that's one of the key areas um it would tend to, the the arguments against tend to come from the sort of libertarian um uh, camp and there, essentially, that what we're doing is we've we've identified this potential problem, which is that uh, creativity will be will will uh, be underproduced. You know, that for example, with drugs, people won't invent new drugs if they can't make lots of money out of them. But the, we fixed that by introducing another market failure, which is we, we're effectively creating artificial scarcity. We're giving people a monopoly, uh, which means that they they will produce less of the thing that they've created. Now, so. So there's obviously a trade-off, right? So if, if you said, you know, well, once you've invented a new drug, you are the only person who can ever produce it for the whole uh, future of humanity. 
then then this would have a, a, a massively negative effect. Because, you know, eventually other people would have invented it. You just happen to have been the first. That's the argument, that eventually, you know, other people would have come across those technologies and you're actually preventing them from using technologies they would have invented anyway. Um, and uh, there's quite a nice thought experiment I read um, I can't remember who came up with it, but, uh, you know, saying that the, the first guy, you know, if everyone was living in, in uh, caves, you know, the first guy to think about building a house out of logs had had modern intellectual property law been there, you know, he would still be the only guy with a house in the, in the world um, because, you know, he invented the idea of, of having a house. So there, there are arguments against which which are really to do with them. Um, uh, you, you know, we, firstly, the economic is it, it, it does patent law give people an, a bit too much economic control, but, but also more fundamentally, does the concept actually make sense? I mean, does it make sense to talk about you owning something that you've invented? Okay, so either, perhaps you could either answer that question, does it make sense, Peter? Yeah, well, I think it is, makes less and less sense in the modern information driven world. So I think in a previous podcast, we made reference to the the sort of post-industrial era and the world now is much more about sharing ideas, finding people to collaborate with, solving problems than it, it, it used to be. So that's a mindset within the new the new generations rather than owning a bit of the world and fiercely controlling it and fiercely looking after that as your own your own little empire. So, I mean, the, the technology, when was it 16 something or rather? copyright or the, yeah, the so 1710 was uh copyright law and 1624 yeah. was patent law so so i mean that's that there that was the world was very different then you know very very different we had very very limited bandwidth in publication and sharing of ideas you know, way way previous to internet even previous to sort of mass mass mail and information um democratization of mail services and things so um the world is very very different uh so and the the new technologies we have provide you with new mechanisms for working out where the value is in in products so um uh, and new means of distributing products so the so if you're if you're if your product if your if your thing you're making is information it is virtually free to copy um uh, but you can put in as a producer you can put in barriers that make it harder to copy so therefore more costly and you can potentially find a balance where uh, people are still willing, are willing to pay for the, a legitimate copy because it's just that bit easier than by than uh, creating an artificial cop the, the 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 cost of having an artificial uh, a bootleg copy yeah okay well that makes sense um what else can you develop delve into that a bit further well i think that going going back to the Bake Off, as, yeah. uh, as an example, Good. Um, the, 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 whether or not Channel 4 made a mistake or, or it, was a, it was a calculated decision, um, it's like what, what, within the Bake Off format, the thing that they've bought, what is the va- where is the value in that? Is the value in being able to use that as a, as a program or is it in the name or is it in the people involved or is it in the production crew? Um, so you know, and I, I would say that's probably diffuse amongst all of those parts. Uh, uh, it may, it, it's probably possible to sort of uh, to model which bits of value, are where, uh, how much value is roughly where, but uh, using other case studies and, and all sorts of experimentation, which is definitely possible these days. Um, but you know, you're you're not going to get the full value of the Bake Off unless you buy the whole Bake Off, which includes all the production crew and everything. And this this is a big problem that companies have uh, in knowledge management is if a company A sells a product 
to the right and the right to use a product, the right to produce a product to company B, you're you're going to miss a lot of the tacit knowledge that company A had surrounding that product. So unless you also have the team that ran and produced that product, you're going to spend a lot of effort and time and cost getting other people up to speed on how to run that product and how to produce that product and all that sort of tacit knowledge is is very difficult to quantify so i think that's a big value center that uh, is is difficult to to pin down that's a good point i like that i'd heard a, i heard a story once i don't know if this is true uh, i think it was about <clears throat> chet baker that people um he, he would often get his trumpet stolen he had a very distinctive sound mm. um and people thought it was something to do with his trumpet so they would be nicking his trumpet, uh, even though actually it was the way he played it. Mm. It feels like that's a similar thing. I wonder if, I wonder if uh, Channel Four buying Bake Off is really buying Chet Baker's trumpet, yeah. whereas actually Mary Berry is is the is, Chet is Baker big, in this whole yeah. setup. Or it might, or it might, or it might be the the person who selects the tablecloths. There's the key mm. factor in Bake Off that well, makes it so perfect. Well, this is a shame because I, one of the questions, we, and we need to sort of wrap up. But one of the questions that people have been have been saying, and in fact a point that people are saying, is there's nothing to stop the BBC now going out and just doing another um, similar show to to uh, Great British Bake Off. Certainly one of the things I think is appealing about, has appealed about, is is, is a very BBC-ish kind of programme. Hmm. And indeed, they, in other kind of areas, there are lots of these competition things around. There's, there's one for tailors that I've seen. Um, and I can't think of the others, but I've noticed there's quite a oh, few. Oh, got it. You know, as soon as anything's successful, suddenly there's a hundred copycat things. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, but the thing is, that I think a lot of people um, think it's very BBC-ish. Um, but you probably say the same about Downton Abbey, which was on True. ITV. True. A lot of poor old ITV uh, is, is not credited with lots of things because mm. people think they must be on the BBC. Well, but, okay. uh, <laughs> so what I was going to suggest is that one of the things you were saying there, Peter, is actually there could be many constituents here that mm. m- make this show what it is. However... I don't think this should stop us, right? So my suggestion is, I think we can do this. This would be pretty easy to replicate. Is that You're us... suggesting we create our own version of the Great British Yeah, I suggest we create our own production company. We can call it Aleph Tilmy Studios Productions, for example. Um, and we can just go off and, you know, it, it's just a matter of getting, we can probably get, I, can, I probably know someone who knows Mary Berry. She's free. No, so. I, I don't think, I think it would have to be the great British, uh, you know, analysis off, great British <laughs> think off. We'd, and I think it would be, it would involve getting people to make predictive models about things. Um, I mean, the concept is out there. There are websites like Kaggle where people put on data sets and ask people to come up with predictive um, quantitative models. Uh, I think something like that would be quite fun. Get, get, have teams trying to, trying to predict the outcome of something. It might be a bit robot It might be a bit niche and a bit, a bit nerdy for well, a I was mainstream. Say, it doesn't necessarily sound the most visually rich of, of no. programs. And, and so maybe the way to do it is analysis through robots or something. Because of the robot element, then now you're talking. That's what's <laughs> going to get a commissioning editor from the BBC. Yeah, board. unfortunately, I think Robot Wars has... Has got there. Yeah, no, but we've got to add the sort of analysis bit. And if the BBC doesn't want it, well, you know, perhaps Channel Five will go for it or something. Yeah. Anyway, look, I think we any. Th- well, I, yeah, I mean, I think just briefly, briefly, yeah. I mean, I, 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 an analogy occurred to me when I was thinking about this yesterday. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it really works, so I'm just going to try it out on people. But the the if you consider great theories in physics and science, take mm. for example general relativity, okay. right? Um, it was an astounding piece of work by a very brilliant man, Albert Einstein. Um, but, you know, until uh, until relatively 
recently, many of the parts of that were just pen and paper. It was just a few ideas on paper. So, you know, arguably it was the work within one man's lifetime. So there's only a certain amount of sort of man-hour value gone into this thing. Now consider all the billions and billions of pounds and millions and millions of work uh, man-hours that have gone into verifying empirically what he has suggested. So you've got big things like the the Large Hadron Collider and all the huge experiments that have spent okay. millions and millions of dollars working working on bits of it to prove it. So a lot more value, a lot more sort of production co- quantity has gone into the verification of the 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 the, the uh, theory than the mm. actual theory itself. And I think there's I think that's a potentially a useful analog to think of. Uh, to to compare with the the, the idea of the formats, so the format is just like the theory. It's just like the, this this thing could be true. This thing could be a good idea, but the actual production of it, where all the effort goes, is the um, is the sort of major part of the work, the effort in terms of hmm. in terms of verifying that as an experiment. Nice. I think that rounds things off nicely. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so we're going to stop there. Um, I'd like to think of something pithy to say, but I can't really think of anything. It's got, the, can't we make the, a cake joke? Well, something? there must be so many. Well, why, why don't we have? A, why don't we have a, a, a vote? Why don't we ask the listeners if they if they in a fight who would win strictly or the Bake Off? <laughs> fight? How would the fight <laughs> format be? death match? What about? No, no. We need we need a joke. We need. Well, you know, the only cake joke I can think of is what's the fastest cake in the world? Scone. <laughs> And on that note, um, thank you very much for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast um, with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill and myself, Fraser McGrew. Thank you, as always, for listening. And until next time, and happy baking. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.